uh, Hillary has been lengthening her excuses as to why uh, she lost the election. She didn't really lose the election. It was stolen from her uh, by, I think it's up to 24 different excuses she has now. Number 24 is content farms in Macedonia. And uh, as I said, uh, my grandfather was a uh, Macedonian content farmer. And uh, we often think about, you know, gathering on the porch and recalling the old days on the Macedonian. I never thought, he never thought that the old content farmers he left behind in Macedonia would one day steal the U.S. presidential election. They are gnarled hard-working Macedonian peasants and the way they were able to reach out and, and uh, welcome the to the Macedonian the Content Farmers Podcast. My name is Jason Miko coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona, and we are recording this on Sunday, March 17, 2019. And this is Tvetin Sholemanov coming in from Skopje, Macedonia, where uh, we've turned a corner. It's no longer winter. We're uh, enjoying some lovely springtime weather. And how are you doing there, Jason? You were pretty sick, banged up the last time we were uh, recording. Yeah, I was. I, I thank you. I, I appreciate that. I had. I had a. a you know, I was just starting with a major cold. But the. You know, the way I deal with the cold, I, I lay. Off, I, I, I take lots of vitamin C. I drink plenty of water, and for a week, I gave up the heroin and the <laughs> methamphetamines. And so, that seems to do the trick. So I'll, I'll start up back on those you know, tomorrow. But. Uh, but I'm glad you got spring there. We have spring here. I've got the, all the doors and windows open. It's, it's 76 degrees Fahrenheit, 24 degrees Celsius. Today is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and I think, Svetin, that we uh, should quote the Irish patriot Roger Casement, who was executed by the British in, uh, after the 1916 uprising in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And Roger Casement said, I know of two tragic histories in the world, that of Ireland and that of Macedonia. Both of them have been deprived and tormented. And they're on an island with, with no neighbors. Exactly, yes. And while we're not going to talk about the uh, Irish backstop and, and Brexit, we're going to see how that plays out in the coming weeks. We are going to talk, since this is being recorded on St. Patrick's Day, but it will be, by the time we get it uh, edited and uploaded, of course, it'll be on Monday, mm-hmm. uh, March 18. Uh, and, you know, there's, again, we've got so much going on in Macedonia, although I, I think I saw a, a, a slight downturn in in the amount of news coming out of macedonia maybe it's maybe it's just wishful thinking and you know we want to talk we want to talk about what's going on the daily events the weekly events in macedonia because our our listeners may not have a chance to kind of follow that and so this is one of the services we perform and being able to to uh, let them know what's going on in macedonia and in the region but I really just kind of want to take that 10,000 meter, 30,000 foot perspective on where we are now. We touched on this last week about the timeline. Right now we've got presidential elections coming up in Macedonia, first round April 21, second round May 5. We know the three candidates. Uh, we know what's at stake. After that, of course, we have the European Union uh, elections for the, the uh, European Parliament, so-called as it is. Uh, then we got a long summer. Who knows what's going to? We know that things kind of slow down in the summer. And then by the end of the calendar year, it looks like Macedonia will probably be given that invitation to NATO. And then it's going to drop off the face of the earth, so to speak. Um, of course, I forgot to add. We'll see after the presidential elections, after the European Union elections. The um, uh, there's rumors that Macedonia may or may not, together with Albania probably, be given uh, a date to start EU accession talks. Uh, That was supposed to happen last year. It did not. Uh, So we'll see if that actually happens this summer. 
But just, you know, taking a step back, again, taking that 10,000 meter, 30,000 foot perspective on where we are, we know that the professional elites in the European Union, in NATO, in the Obama State Department, their biggest goal has been to get Macedonia into NATO. Uh, And that's why we had the installation, as we uh, call it, because it was installation of Zoran Zayev and his government. But after that, and, and we're getting to that almost, we're getting to that after with Macedonia almost in NATO, uh, things again kind of drop off. And the EU stuff, even if Macedonia gets a, a date for the session talks, that is a very long and drawn out process. The EU has its own existential problems, as we see uh, each day. Brexit, of course, is supposed to happen two weeks from uh, this past Friday, actually. Mm-hmm. Gosh, by the time this gets up and up and up, this podcast is up and loaded. It'll be a week and a half away, and and nobody knows where we are with yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but all that to say, yeah, I think we're going to finally get to that point where there's not so much news going on uh, in Macedonia. At least news in the mainstream media, uh, the think tanks, the the uh, the academics, the. Um, the elected and unelected bureaucrats in the European Union, et cetera, constantly talking about Macedonia, and we can we can kind of take a breather. Uh, of course, Zoran Zaev was uh, installed, and his government was installed on a promise of uh, basically making Macedonia prosperous and wealthy, and making Macedonians yeah. rich in order to keep them there. And so, what you know, have wages gone up? Are we seeing an, an upturn, an uptick in in the economy? What's going on there? Is is everything great in Happy Land? Ah, Zayev keeps seeing this. Uh, he's coming up out with some numbers, which I, as we spoke uh, in a previous podcast, it's very difficult for him to back them up. Uh, he's trying to visit foreign companies which are drawing in the blue-collar workforce, but so far uh, only one of them is uh, a newly announced company. All the others were uh, opened during the Vimero government uh, uh, administration. So basically we had a year and a half, two years of a complete uh, um, no, no new factories, no, no opening of new plants has been announced. And he also stopped nearly completely the implementation of infrastructure funds, especially these Chinese programs, which got the US and the EU so angry. So basically our main uh, infrastructure investments have been uh, stopped uh, until Zayev's government was trying to cut the new, uh, to renegotiate the deal with the Chinese. and. You can imagine this takes time and trying to bully China is not such an easy pro- uh, proposition. So one of these highways uh, was only recently opened, even although it was 80% completed under Vimera, and the other uh, construction is completely stopped. So, uh, And this was one of the main, these, these were the two main drivers of economic growth, opening new manufacturing plants um, in our industrial zones in the low tax uh, regime which Grevsky uh, introduced and uh, building highways with Chinese money. And both of these projects are completely stopped, but Zayev still claims that he has doubled the investments somehow, but cannot back back this up with uh, details, with specifics. And uh, I mean, listen, if you talk to normal people that the economy is doing well, they'll just laugh at him. It's it's, uh, comical. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my experience has always been every time I'm in Macedonia, I get into a taxi, I start talking to a taxi driver about what's going on. They, they really, they know what's going on. And you find that with taxi drivers around the world, I think, no matter where you go, is that you get, you, you start that conversation and they'll tell you the unvarnished truth about how things are. 
uh, and so we don't see we don't what you're saying is we, we just don't see any uh, evidence of uh, Zayev's promised land. Uh, I find it interesting. I follow some of the so, so-called color revolutionaries on Twitter, even the ones who have blocked me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I notice that there's been an absence of uh, of uh, tweets from them recently, or very sporadic. Uh, and I can't imagine they're very happy these days. Um, there are some, and like to keep a tab on people who were uh, on color revolutionaries who left the country after uh, inst- helping install Zaf as this puppet government. Uh, one of them uh, who served for his, as his advisor for a few few months and then promptly left for the United States under some uh, uh, educational grant which was given by the embassy. And today she was complaining that, oh, these Americans, they uh, misquoted my name. Instead of Ivana, they wrote Ivanka because of uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I Trump, saw that, yes. Trump, Trump's, Trump's daughter and like, can't make this stuff up, honestly. Uh, uh, some, uh, you know, uh, a lot of them um, are angry, but, you know, they're angry that there are no more arrests. There is no more uh, retribution and violence against uh, the opposition. Uh, so, you know, you can't really uh, count on them and uh, seeing the light of what uh, they've done. It's very difficult to get a person who has been fooled and who has been, um, uh, f- you know, taken for a ride to admit that he has been an idiot and he has been stupid and he has been a useful idiot. Uh, as Orban said for uh, about his European uh, EPP conservative quotation marks here uh, allies, and uh, they, they will never accept that they have been the idiots. They might turn on Zayev that he failed to uh, accomplish uh, what he promised, and he only accomplished what Vimera said he will do, which is rename the country, redefine the country uh, along ethnic lines, basically make it uh, a third Albanian state in the region. And, uh, you know, destroy its sovereignty, uh, open uh, the Macedonian nation to interpretation by Greeks and Bulgarians. This is what has been accomplished, nothing else. Now, he may not fall because of the economy, because the economy was actually do- doing very well under Gruevski. And uh, we, are, uh, we have been a poor country. We became a middle-income country. Under Gruevski, we're still experimenting and uh, enjoying this shiny new stuff we have here, like a second car in many of the families, like uh, uh, easy access to credits from the banks, which were uh, which Grevsky allowed to operate more freely in the country. So, in a second vacation, normally one vacation was enough. Now everybody does like a second winter vacation as well. I mean, everybody who's middle class, which is most Macedonians. So uh, you know, you know, we're still enjoying the good life which uh, we acquired under uh, in the past in the previous ten years. And uh, Zayev has not, he's not going to erode this tremendously, obviously. He, uh, we have not had a bank collapse or a major factory close or, or anything like that. This, or inflation, this, yeah, this probably won't happen. Uh, I doubt that he will be toppled because of economic mismanagement. I mean, Gruevsky possibly created a cushion that we could survive uh, even higher income taxes for a while before it affects the, the country, the economy before it, uh, it gets felt at the ga- gas pump or uh, at the market. Uh, but, he, but, you know, he's not improving situations, dr- the situation dramatically. Yeah, he's, he's not building on the successes that he was given when he was installed as the prime minister. Now, 
Of course, he campaigned on a platform of redistribution of wealth, which means higher taxes. Uh, the Ministry of Finance is implementing that. Of course, the economy doesn't turn around in a few months mm. or or implode within a few months. Either way, it takes time. So we'll see the longer term effects of that. But to your point of him not uh, uh, being thrown out of office or, or losing his support just on the economy alone. No, you're right. It'll be a combination of things. It'll be the part of it will be the, the lack of of fighting corruption and in some cases increased corruption yeah. nepotism yeah. uh you know the, the the crackdown on on media freedom uh, basically it's it's control of the state by one party and if stevo pendorovsky were to win the presidential elections it would be total control of the state by one party actually citizen and dewey uh which is what the colorful revolutionaries and many of the professional elites in the west wanted but even they know that's not good for democracy and over time that's extremely dangerous for the state of Macedonia. Yeah, and, and you know, the most dangerous thing is that we're uh, redefining Macedonia, which no longer is the nation state of Macedonians, with full respect for human rights, uh, for all minority rights of all minorities. It is now uh, a completely undefined country, and uh, as nature abhors vacuum, we are currently a, a, a vacuum in the middle of the, of the Balkans. We may join NATO technically, you know, legally in the strict, you know, uh, legal sense of uh, the membership, but um, we are no longer a sovereign country which projects its own nation, its own culture, uh, does not project stability in the region, uh, it does not uh, create stability in the sense that it counteracts the pressures of neighboring countries, Albanian nationalism, Serb, Bulgarian, Greek nationalism. We are no longer... Uh, there is no longer any pushback on our part on these pressures. This is what will increase these pressures on Macedonia. Yes, I, I agree with you to an extent, but that's why it's ever more important for Macedonians themselves, forget the government, this government or any government, frankly, forget the government. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's vital for Macedonians themselves to take control and to do what is necessary to uh, bolster and uh, solidify the Macedonian identity. I'll put in a plug for the article I just published on medium.com and, and I think you uploaded mm -hmm. to Svest uh, Maka. Uh, a Macedonian covenant is what I'm proposing uh, for the Macedonians and that is a pledge and a promise between and among Macedonians to do what is necessary to increase and strengthen the Macedonian identity first and foremost through cultural work which is what Kristin uh, Masirkov talked about, uh, and that is the debt that Macedonians owe to each other because we know this government for sure is not going to do anything to uh, to help in, uh, to help solidify and and increase the Macedonian identity. So it's going to be up to Macedonians themselves, Macedonians in the Republic, Macedonians in Greece, Macedonians in Albania, Macedonians in Bulgaria, Macedonians wherever they live. Uh, and so Macedonian covenant, I think, is one of the things that could help in this hour of need. There is going to be a natural reaction to all these pressures, and uh, I'm not sure how this will represent itself, whether this will be uh, a fight at a football match we play with uh, some of the neighboring countries which are pressuring us, or, or during the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, or... Uh, <laughs> I always forget about that. Uh, whether this is going to be uh, an incident during, you know, the migration season for the... Uh, Macedonians uh, to the Greek beaches, which happens in a few, uh, which begins in a few months, where we're going to test in real life this proposition that we have greatly improved our relations, 
I mean, last year we had a murder in Corfu, which is probably the first murder over the Macedonian issue. Uh, it was an Albanian citizen who got into a fight with uh, Greeks uh, over the Macedonian issue, it was reported, and I assume Greek-Albanian issues. He may also have been an ethnic Macedonian. It was never fully cl clarified. Um, so we are going to... There is going to be some kind of pushback. It might just... It doesn't have to be any new uh, cultural creation, as you mentioned. It could just be reciting something uh, somewhere uh, in a uh, emotional charge atmosphere like uh, the Illandan celebration, the appearance of some of the recently uh, liberated people like uh, uh, Durlovsky from this major court case which was ongoing and his performance at some gathering. I mean, something like this uh, is definitely coming and, you know, this this is, we'll be dealing with this for the uh, so long as our independence and sovereignty and nationhood is endangered and under threat, which is obviously going to be for a very long time. Yes, it is. Um, but the good news, I think, and this kind of is a nice segue into the next subject we want to talk about. The good news, I think, is that we know that Zoran Zayev and his government uh, will not be in power forever. Mm. And if we take a look next door, well, a country over at Montenegro right now, we see a lot of protests going on there. Uh, and uh, the protesters are, are, are demanding the resignation of uh, long-term leader Milo Djukanovic, has been prime minister and president off and on for basically since Montenegro's independence. Now, I think the funny, the interesting thing, of course, is that everybody's always known about Djukanovic's background and uh, the corruption and the criminality and everything like that. But the West ignored that in 2017 in order to get uh, Montenegro into NATO. Now that Montenegro is in NATO, uh, of course, it's on the path of opening and closing the various EU chapters. Uh, the West doesn't need him, and they're, 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 they're happy to cut him loose. And the same thing is going to happen to Zoran Zaev. Uh, I promise you that. It, it, it works like clockwork. And so he is going to be let loose by the same uh, professional elites in the West that have been his handlers heretofore. And, and I don't think he realizes what's coming. Uh, but again... That's the good news. He's not going to be around forever. We know that. That's the nature of politics anywhere you go. Now, next door in Serbia, we have uh, protests also going on. And you're, I think you're following that a little bit more than I am. What's, what's the latest from Serbia? Well, uh, basically, they, uh, they're doing something like uh, anti-urban style coalition like they have in Hungary. They have taken a very nationalist party, which is far to the nationalist right on uh, Vucic, and they have joined it with this urban, effet post-national leftist... They're, prof they're professionally angry. Belgrade uh, group of people they had usually protesting with uh, uh, the opposition, and they have, they're now also, uh, you know, the protesters are now uh, adopting tactics from Macedonia, and we have President Vucic openly talking about this is a repeat of the Macedonian scenario they're trying to do to us what they did to Gruevsky, he is openly accusing uh, the foreign embassies in Belgrade of funding and fermenting these protests, and he's absolutely right. I mean, I have met with some of these protest organizers, their mirror image, carbon copy of uh, the protesters which were uh, recruited for Macedonia. These are uh, football fans, hooligans on the nationalist side, and they have these uh, urban elitist students angry at themselves and everybody else uh, youngsters from Belgrade. They're, prof they're professionally angry. Exactly. And uh, they're, uh, they're, they have come up with plans of what would be like a symbolic uh, 
protest which could uh, escalate and then uh, they would get images of people being beaten up by the police, punched here and there, and they could use this to their advantage. Something like what happened during the parliament uh, storming in Macedonia, where basically the left provoked the crowd to enter the parliament. They staged the vote deliberately when there was a major protest instead of the, in front of the parliament. But they also counted that they will be protected by some of their fellow members of parliament or possibly even very likely infiltrated people within the crowd who would help them uh, or, or, or basically protected by the common decency of the people who, who entered the building. So basically you get a few kicks and slaps here and there, but then you get this huge image which bolsters your uh, legitimacy, which you can exploit, exploit endlessly uh, for basically the price of a few stitches or uh, a few bruises. So this is what the protesters in Serbia want. They stormed the television building in Serbia and they waited for the police to kick them out and then they're now using these images of being uh, dragged out of the building by uh, police in riot gear to bolster their legitimacy and today they, they surrounded uh, President Vucic in, when he was giving a statement from the presidency uh, building and they tried to prevent him from leaving the building and again there was a scuffle with the police and they want to use this um, as well. Macedonia is definitely uh, being used as uh, a recruitment center, funding center. Uh, Zaev has several businessmen, um, some of whom he even officially hired as his advisors, who are Serbs and who are uh, close to the Serbian opposition. Uh, Serbian opposition leader Gilas was recently in Macedonia meeting with Zaev in uh, Belgrade and then Serbian officials uh, raised this uh, issue, like the defense minister, who is the outspoken mouth of Vucic, he came out and said this is uh, unacceptable. You are uh, meeting with protest organizers, people who are trying to topple our government by illegitimate means. Uh, Zaev is definitely funding them, to giving them businesses in Macedonia to these Serbian companies, who uh, businessmen who uh, supported initially Zaev, and now they're uh, he's paying them back by giving them money giving them businesses in Macedonia, which they then uh, they use the proceeds to fund the protests. Uh, and uh, as I said, Vucic openly raised the issue of uh, a Macedonian scenario being prepared. One of uh, the U.S. Embassy uh, people who left the diplomatic service, uh, uh, Stevenson, he's now wildly rumored to be working. He, he works in Macedonia. He has a company with uh, Zaev's lawyer, uh, Filip Medarski, but he has allegedly also hired Serbian people who are involved in the protests. And lastly, we had Vucic raise the issue of uh, the draconian sentencing of Macedonian interior minister Mitko Chavkov over the parliament incident, which I mentioned. This happened ju just this week. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison and several other police officials have been sentenced to 15 years in prison as well, along with some of the protesters who also received huge sentences from seven up to 15 years. And uh, Chavkov and the other police, they're essentially sentenced for not acting fast enough uh, to uh, protect uh, the opposition, the SDSM members of parliament who provoked the entire incident by the vote they staged from the crowd. Even though obviously SDSM and Dewey did not call the police and tell them, listen, we plan to stage a vote at 6 p.m. You might want to have your riot police ready. You know, they know what they were planning, but they didn't. A call for reinforcements backup. They did not ask for their protection to be guaranteed ahead of time so the police could prepare. And, uh, 
And now Vucic is saying, okay, fine. So they sentence the interior minister for not acting fast enough to stop the incident. While uh, in, in our case, our police, uh, our interior minister acted uh, when the protesters uh, occupied essentially the uh, radio uh, Serbian radio television building. He sent the police out. They had them pulled out. And now you're objecting because uh, the police did its duty throughout the, the protesters, the unruly protesters who very likely would have beaten up some journalist uh, if it had lasted longer. So, uh, but yeah, this is going to be like a com complete uh, double standard on the part of the international community. In Macedonia, they said, yes, the police is at fault for not acting against the protesters. In Serbia, the internationalists are going to say, no, the police should not have used force and uh, should not have expelled the protesters. This is clearly one of those occupy Wall Street, occupy this, occupy that style protests, clearly engineered in workshops uh, organized by the diplomatic corps here and the professional protesting class and a number of intelligence agencies which are operating, which are behind the Macedonian political crisis and are now behind the Serbian and very likely Montenegrin, definitely the Hungarian protests. They're not behind the Albanian protests because they kind of, you know, the powers that be in Washington and in uh, uh, Brussels at this point still like Edirama and do not support uh, uh, losing Basha. So I do not see the same level of engagement and support for the right-wing protesters in Albania, but there is definitely support for those in Macedonia, Serbia, Montenegro, and uh, especially Hungary. Right. Well, and, and going back to what you just mentioned a moment ago about double standards, I never, I always have to bring up the fact that uh, while these arrests happened this week, uh, I think that total number of years of everybody's sentence was well over 200 yeah. uh, in total for each of the 18, I think, individuals. But yeah, and yet, and yet, Ali Ahmeti and his ilk not only walk free, but they are part of the governing structure in Macedonia. And it bears repeating that Ali Ahmeti and those around him are responsible for the death, the murder of hundreds of Macedonian citizens. They are responsible for the death of members of the Macedonian army, members of the Macedonian police, innocent civilians, and they are Ali Ahmeti and his ilk are responsible for the death of Macedonian Albanian youth who joined the so-called NLA in 2001 out of some misguided romantic notion of splitting the country in two and creating their own little statelet. He is, in the words of then NATO Secretary George Robertson, a murderous thug, and he walks free, and I will repeat this until the day that he is dead and buried. And after that, I'll continue repeating it as a matter of fact. You want to talk about double standards? That man is evil. Those people around him who were part of the so-called NLA, the National Liberation Army, are evil, and they walk free, and they're part of governing structures, and that is wrong. Yeah, it's them. It's the Islamist killers from uh, 2012 who killed four Macedonian youngsters and one... Uh, and are they in jail now? No, they, they're, no they're released. They're, uh, I think they're in house arrest or complete arrest. I mean, I, even if it's... 
how's the tension? I'm, I'm sure they nobody would bother uh, checking if they're actually in their houses. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely sure they're walking freely uh, in the Albanian parts of the country. Um, this was one of the main promises which Zayev made to the Albanian parties before, you know, to get their support to form the government under Edi Rama's Tirana platform from 2016. And then uh, in prison uh, are the Kumanov attackers, about 30 of them, the terrorist group which attacked Kumanov in 2015. But they actually run the prison with impunity. They, they would post pictures of their feasts in prison with their friends. They're literally, you know, commanders of the prison as evidence when they beat up two of the Vimera ministers which were imprisoned there. Um, so, you know, this is... But, yeah, which, which is a validation. I mean, you know, when, when members of Vimera who have been, uh, you know, uh, charged and then sentenced by the so-called special prosecutor's office and then put into prison and then they're beat up, yeah. that validates to a degree uh, Gravsky's claim that he was going to be murdered if he was put in jail. Uh, yeah, I can understand that, uh, which is why he, he claimed political asylum in, in Hungary. Uh, and yet, as you point out, these, these people are in jail, but they run the jail. Of course, you see that in, in, in countries around the world where the criminals are inside the jail and they actually run the jail. And that happens. It's not unique to Macedonia or anything like that. Uh, but it does speak to the fact that there is certainly uh, the, the government, which was elected or installed, I should say, on a prospect of fighting corruption and install and in, you know reinvigorating the rule of law, really hasn't done that at all. Uh, and so why should they be given, why should Macedonia then be given by the European Union a chance to start European Union accession talks? To say nothing of what you were just talking about a moment ago and all of the troubles that are going on in Albania with Eddie Rama and the opposition there. But let's move on and talk about something not so grim and dark, even though it has its own grimness and darkness about it. It's the presidential race coming up. Today is, again, the 17th. Tomorrow this will be up on the 18th. 21st is this week. That's a month away from the first round of presidential elections in Macedonia. And then second round, of course, is on May, May 5. We have a very clear choice between the two main candidates, the citizen Dewey candidate, uh, Stevo Pentarovsky, and the Vomero candidate, uh, Professor Gordana uh, Silianovska. And what is the latest on the on the on uh, their campaigning? Well, it's still the unofficial part of the campaign, so they're not holding any major rallies. They're just meeting supporters across the country. Gordana Silianovska, the Vomero opposition candidate, she's uh, right now in the phase where she's challenging Pendarovsky, the SDSM slash police slash Albanian mafia candidate, uh, to come to a TV debate with her. Uh, he still hasn't agreed to this. He's still avoiding the uh, facing her directly. Um, Pendarovsky started using North Macedonia, but sparingly in his comments. He would say, I'm running for president of North Macedonia, and then preface this but by saying about 10 times, our country, the country, the people of the country, and stuff like that. It's... Uh, Coward! Abysmal to, to look at. It's... Unbelievable. He he took. He's taking pictures. Uh, you know, he's the old communist era uh, secret police cadre, one of the younger ones who came out of the school. But he is more and more defining himself with this other very important part of Zaev's wide tent, which is the Alba Albanian mafia. He was just taking some pictures with uh, 
some of the mobsters who, you know, this is what hurts the colored protesters, uh, these nonsensical, stupid issues they sometimes endorse. Right now, one of these issues is the building of several, like, platforms, like floating uh, restaurants on uh, the canyon uh, of Lake Matka near Skopje, which is, you know, the one natural beauty wonder around Skopje, which you used to go and see when you visit the city. And some Albanian guys are there, uh, are building these platforms there, and they're the local mafia, obviously. And Pendarovsky is uh, showing up and uh, snapping pictures with them, and they're posting, obviously, these pictures on, on Facebook because they're trying to boast to the other mafia in the neighborhood that they are close to the future president, uh, as they hope, or the, at least Zayev's advisor at this point. So they they have impunity, and uh, the left colored revolutionaries here are who endorse Pendarovsky. They like Pendarovsky much more than Zayev, obviously, because he's this this image of an urban uh, person, uh, despite his police background, and he is um, and they they have also but they have also espoused this the cause of uh, uh, dismantling these platforms in Matka, and uh, now Zay and now Pendarovsky is snapping pictures with the guys who are building them. So that's. That's a horrible look. This is what gets them angry, you know, not, not the loss of your nation and your country, but uh, they've chosen to be this Quixotic type of knights who fight for these. Uh... Yeah, well, and we, and we all we always know that, you know, the core of Skopje, the capital, of course, is the, the Czech urban elite and their citizen voters, they're far left, etc. They're always going to vote for him and whatnot. But of the two candidates, um, which one is, is, is Stevo kind of sticking around Skopje? Is he campaigning there? Is he going around around the country? Is Gordana running around the country? Who's who's going outside of Skopje to the rural? Oh, both of them, both of them. They're all doing, They're at least I, I would even say they're doing more, they're more doing the smaller towns and villages more now at this point than than the capital, they will have. They would have like one rally in each uh, of the large districts of Skopje, and then one rally in each uh, larger city of Macedonia, and then the neighboring area. They would also cover it before the rally. So this is this is the first round, and then they will basically visit the same uh, cities and places again for a proper uh, official rally. I mean, they were in Ohrid today. They would go to Resend, to Radovish, you know, to the smaller. Uh, cities at this point more than they would uh, campaign in Skopje. Right. Well, we'll uh, I think on our podcast next week, the official campaign may have started. We'll have to check. Uh, maybe not yet, actually. We'll have to check on that date and find out because at that point, then I think we'll start to see some polling numbers and, and what's going on. Um, anyway, it's, you know, for the next uh, six, well, seven, eight weeks, it's going to be uh, interesting to follow. And I think, again, as we talked about last week, this will really be a test of um, where the mood of the population is post Prespa, uh, and it could be not will be, but it could be a indicator of uh, the mood of the population, uh, and a, and almost a post Prespa um, uh, indicator of how folks are feeling about Prespa and its implementation. It will be uh, strange to see how, what uh, what happens. I mean, Siljanovska still has not uh, gone as strong as she could uh, on the name issue. I mean, she's, uh, she wrote this uh, long analysis criticizing it, and now she says she's going to build up on that and uh, uh, include the uh, you know, international law professors which worked with her on this, and she's going to form a commission on this. But again, you know, just the words forming a commission, you know, you know where this is going. And obviously, if she goes too hard on this issue, she would lose 
any hope for international support. Not that the internationals are, you know, have shown that uh, uh, they're prepared to support Vimara after the the NATO membership is, uh, we suppose, uh, closing in. In fact, we had this unpre- unprecedented uh, criticism of uh, uh, Mitskovsky of Vimara by the U.S. embassy and the German embassy after he used uh, appropriately, adequately strong language to condemn this. Uh, Stalinist trial of uh, uh, Chavkov and uh, Yanachinto and, uh, you know, Durlovsky was released. The court dared not uh, uh, arrest Durlovsky for terrorism, but all the other 16 people who were sentenced. So Mitskovsky was appropriately harsh on this issue. And um, the U.S. embassy and the German embassy are shouting back at him. And the U.S. embassy is even posting screenshots from this human rights report, which is written uh, by all means, apparently in the in the embassy here, but by their extremely corrupt and crooked local staffers and uh, uh, diplomats who are in the know, uh, like you know the people in the mold of Stevenson and Bailey, and these and they're uh, saying they're pointing out to the, the sections of the report they wrote, which say, well, the judiciary has improved after Zaev has become become prime minister, which is complete. And, uh, and of course, at this point, uh, we have Silyanovska um, uh, is joining in. So she is more reserved on the name issue, but she's uh, becoming more and more vocal on the issue of political persecution of the opposition, as well she should, because what's happening here in this country is complete Stalinism. Well, yes, and you say complete Stalinism, but that's, that's appropriate because the uh, Zoran Zaev and his citizen party, of course, are the uh, successors to the Communist League of Macedonia. So these are people that call each other comrade at their national party Mm. congresses, and yet they are, quote-unquote, I'm using your quotes, the pro-Western party. You can't be pro-Western and call each other comrade. I'm sorry. That is not uh, appropriate for being in the Western club. Well, given the Uh, direction the is going. Yeah, well, that's a whole other rant. Don't get me started. Don't don't even get me started as to the direction of the West. Actually, right here – uh, now, okay. Now that you, you got me started, Sven. Um, I, I just I saw a tweet the other day about uh, the late great Judge Robert Bork and his book from 1996, Slouching Towards Gomorrah, which I've read three times, and I picked it up again, and uh, I, I said I'm going to read it again. And in the in in the introduction, he says, "quote This is a book about American decline." Yep. <laughs> And this was written in 1996. He says, since American culture is a variant of the cultures of all Western industrialized democracies, it may even inadvertently be a book about Western decline. And, of course, slouching towards Gomorrah. Gomorrah refers to Sodom and Gomorrah, the two uh, cities in the Old Testament that were destroyed by God. Uh, Whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. Uh, the, the, the story is, of course, that they were destroyed by God because of their wickedness. And and this book, again, written in 1996, see, you got me on my platform. You got me on my uh, my uh, rant here, Svetin. This book is written in 1996, Slouching Towards Gomorrah. Uh, I, wanna, I, I, I think a follow-up book should be written, and the title of that would be We Have Arrived yeah. at Gomorrah. So, but anyway, back – I started to say something about Cordana, uh, the Vimro candidate, and you said she's going a little bit slower, and I think that's fine. And again, this uh, taking a, 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 a thirty thousand foot, ten thousand meter perspective, those of us from a conservative worldview, those of us on the right, 
believe that it is more appropriate to take a more deliberative, incremental approach to uh, the way th the way it, to culture, towards the nation, towards society, towards change, etc. Our friends on the left, the modern progressives, the modern liberals, etc., do just what the colorful revolutionaries did. They want to burn the whole thing down to the ground and start over. And we could get into a long and lar long discussion on the differences between the two, but I think it's appropriate for her to do that. She's getting her ducks in a row, so to speak. She's she's getting ammunition and whatnot. And and in, and in this, I want to talk to our friends in the boycott movement who are still thinking about boycotting the presidential elections. And we can't do that. We have got to get her elected over Stevo Pendorovsky. Uh, because and, and if the if the elections were to fail through a boycott, of course, then Ali, uh, sorry, Talat Jaferi would become acting president. So you, you can't have him as president. You can't have Stevo as president. Gordana has to be president. End of rant. Yeah, there is uh, most people. I suppose they will uh, who are on the fence between uh, obviously wanting to uh, prevent an SDSM presidential candidate from winning, but also they don't want to legitimize. Uh, the process uh, of renaming the country by voting for a candidate who may not be strong enough on the uh, on reversing the, the the issue. I mean, I suppose people will um, vote later on in the first round, see see the way the turnout is developing. If we have turnout similar to the uh, name referendum, then well, you know, and and also if there is uh, clear indications of. Uh, of abuse of uh, election rigging in uh, the beginning uh, in the Albanian districts from the very beginning of the vote, which is Steva Pendarovsky's uh, forte. He was head of the state electoral commission when Tsvinkovsky was elected president. And you just look at the turnout maps and the, uh, the ballot stuffing, you know, like an Albanian village where 300 people out of uh, 700 voted in the first round and the other 400 are living in Germany. And then in the second round, all 700 people vote in the same village. And uh, every literal, literally every vote is for Branko Tsarvenkovsky, like complete, open, overt ballot stuffing uh, with uh, an extremely uh, scathing report from the OSC about the conduct of the elections, which Steve Pendarovsky organized and conducted. And then he also conducted the uh, 2004 referendum, which Vimero initiated, uh, which was also extremely, absolutely not free or fair. And then he was appointed advisor to Tsarvinkovsky for all the good services he rendered him in getting him elected. So uh, a lot of people uh, would not like to legitimize uh, the election. And if something like this happens again in the Albanian districts, um, I suppose in this case, people would, uh, you know, even boycottian people would come out and vote massively for the opposition candidate in an attempt to reverse the uh, irregularities. But if at the end of the day we realize that, uh, you know, enough people are being threatened, uh, you know, to abstain from voting if there are known opposition supporters or that, uh, you know, Albanian turnout will near 100%, uh, even though half of the Albanians essentially live in Germany and Switzerland, etc., uh, in this case, it's very likely that there is going to be boycott of the second round, and Mitskovsky uh, more or less said so. He met with Zayev, he asked for some guarantees in uh, that the election is going to be free and fair, including the appointment of a public prosecutor by the opposition. Zayev obviously refused this, 
And Mitskovsky then said, you know, there is going to be a second round of the elections, clearly indicating that if the first round goes the way Pendarovsky organized the 2004 elections and referendum, then Vemora will boycott the second round and uh, uh, we might be on the same side with the boycottiram people again. Wow. Okay. Well, to be, uh, to be continued. Um, well, let's take a quick break, put in some beautiful Macedonian music and then come back with our farmer's picks. But give me enough of the final stuff that's made near Galway Bay. I'm peelers all from Donegal, slag on Atrium too. And we'll give us a slip and we'll take a sip of the railroad mountain dew. I Back to the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. Svet, that wasn't Macedonian music, nope, was it? This was Irish, but performed by a Serbian band, so in, in honor of St. Oh, oh, very cool. Okay. Well, it's time to go into our farmers' picks. What uh, do you well, got? Um, I'm going to go with this uh, 2009 interview by, uh, by by Greek nationalist politician Andonis Samaras. Uh, at this point, I think he was uh, in the opposition uh, uh, or, or culture minister in the conservative government. I'm not sure which of these two, but then he was later uh, prime minister of the country. And obviously he's the guy who started the name issue as foreign minister in the early 90s when he was discussing splitting uh, uh, Macedonia uh, between Serbia and Greece was one of the proposals with a Greek buffer zone stretching, let's say, 20 kilometers into Macedonia, like an occupation zone. Uh, and... Uh, in this interview uh, with a Greek ERT television, he's discussing uh, the lo- what Greece is hoping will be the long-term prospect of Macedonia, which is, uh, as he says, having its divided split between uh, Bulgaria and Albania, keeping it out of EU, keeping it out of NATO. And um, in his mind, Macedonia would then be poor, would uh, uh, collapse uh, because it's not integrated in the European Union and would naturally be split between Albanians and Bulgarians, which he says would resolve their their issue. And even the journalist asks him, well, is this in our strategic interest uh, uh, to destroy this statelet, as they call us, because then we would get greater Albania and greater Bulgaria on our border instead of uh, Macedonia, which now serves as a buffer zone, which discourages the nationalisms of the neighboring countries. And... uh, you know, Samaras is not perturbed by this. He's literally wishing for a civil war in a neighboring country. And uh, the only thing that makes this exceptional, what he, he says, is that he's seeing it out loud while everybody else in Greek politics is thinking this and acting to make this happen, while Samaras was, uh, you know, the, the fool who was out there waving the flag and saying, this is what we want, want to happen. Uh, the joke was partially on them because uh, Greece was the one which went bankrupt, not only despite being in the EU, but especially because of being in the EU. While Macedonia, as we were discussing, went on a small scale uh, economic renaissance in the past 10 years, but this was uh, unnaturally cut down and reversed 
even though nothing was uh, uh, pointing out toward uh, bringing down the Gryevsky government and stopping this process, but this was uh, but through an engineered political process, uh, through an engineered political crisis, uh, the diplomats here they found uh, they used the uh, socialist uh, opposition to bring down the government, and they're essentially moving Macedonia toward this uh, resolution which Samara spoke of, uh, dividing the country between Albania and Bulgaria. What a lovely human being he must be. <laughs> well, that was for your quote from him was what, 2009 you said? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit further in history. Uh, and my farmer's pick is actually a, a book. Uh, I may have mentioned this in the past. I don't know, but it's worth mentioning again. Um, the book is In the Shadow of Olympus. The Emergence of Macedon from 1990 by Eugene Borza, who was a professor emeritus of ancient history at Pennsylvania State University. And the reason I mention this book and uh, for uh, all of our listeners to pick up and read is because our friends, our Greek friends on Twitter especially, keep uh, you know bringing out their tireless quotes, trying to make direct connections between uh, Alexander the Great and Philip and the, uh, the present-day Greeks. Uh, but let me just read a couple of quotes here. This one's from chapter 12, The Emergence of Macedon. Uh, quote, as far as the ancient Greeks were concerned, the Macedonians were not Greeks. Here's another quote. Uh, there is no evidence suggesting that Macedonians wanted to be Greek. Rather, there was an attempt by Macedonian kings to be recognized on a plane of equality with the Greeks in order that matters of state, war, and peace might be dealt with on the basis of mutual advantage. Uh, and I've got this book highlighted and underlined in the pages dog-eared and all kinds of quotes like this. And again, the basic, his basic premise is that the ancient Macedonians were not Greek, never claimed to be Greek. Uh, and there is no direct connection between the ancient Macedonians and the modern-day Greeks, much to the chagrin, I am sure, of our Greek friends. The emergence uh, in the shadow of Olympus, Olympus, the emergence of Macedon, Eugene Bors in the 1990s when it came out. Great book, highly recommended. Svetin, always fun talking to you. We are going a bit long this time. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we'll see what next week brings. And, uh, All right, great talking to you.